and it's it's a really humbling experience. But uh, tonight, you know, I just want to share with you a little bit about uh, why God's been working in my own heart uh, as we look through Luke chapter 14. Uh, so if you turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke 14, and as you're doing that, I'm just going to share with you a story uh, from a movie titled Angels with Dirty Faces. It's a uh, it's an older movie, and it, it's about uh, this, this uh, scene for the movie is based on two characters, Rocky, who is a criminal celebrity. He's the idol of all the young juvenile delinquents in the city, and he's about to go to the electric chair for his crimes. And the night before his execution, his good childhood friend named Jerry, who is a priest trying to save inner-city kids from a life of crime, comes to him uh, with a request. Uh, and he says that the only way that these kids that he's working with can be saved from a destructive path, a life of crime, you know, they are, they're idolizing Rocky here, he tells them, I want you to let them down. You see, you've been a hero to these kids and hundreds of others all through your life. And now you're going to be a glorified hero in death. And I want to prevent that, Rocky. They've got to despise your memory. They've got to be ashamed of you. And Rocky's just taken aback. He's saying, you're asking me to pull an act to turn yellow so those kids will think I'm no good. You asked me to throw away the only thing I've got left. To crawl on my belly as the last thing I do in life. Nothing doing. You're asking too much. You want to help those kids? Fine. But you've got to think of some other way. Jerry's calling Rocky to do a great reversal. The substitutionary sacrifice. If you hold on to your dignity, he says, they'll follow you. And die, in, follow you and die in shame. But if you die in shame, relinquish your glory, and the boys' lives can be saved. It's the only way to release these boys from their hero worship. Rocky refuses, but the next morning when he walks into the execution chamber, he suddenly begins to cry out for mercy in cowardly hysterics and dies in humiliation, making the ultimate sacrifice. This is an incredible picture of the sacrificial love we are called to as Christians. As we read in this passage tonight, following Christ is not a commitment to reading the Bible consistently, attending church regularly, and abiding by a particular moral standard. It's a commitment of all that is you. Your time, money, worship, and yes, even, as this movie so movingly displayed, your reputation. Our text tonight is going to remind us what it costs to be Jesus' disciple. So hear the word of God as it is in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and is not able to finish. 
Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our time tonight that we may worship you in the words that we sing and learn from your living word. I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak will reflect your truth and that it may be a great benefit to all of us here tonight, that we may come to a greater understanding of what it means to be your disciple through the words of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Luke 14, Jesus is very much in your face. Three times in the passage he states, If you don't blank, you cannot be my disciple. Compare that to other passages like John 3.16, which is often posted up everywhere. You know, football games, billboards, etc. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is how we often view the Gospel in our own life. Being a Christian is easy. Anybody can do it. Just believe. Here Jesus reminds us that that is only part of the picture, an incomplete gospel, and that following him comes with a price, a costly price. As we enter this passage from Luke, we are joining Jesus during the peak of his earthly ministry. His popularity was beginning to soar, and we find that he is being followed by large crowds. It's popular among the poor and the weak to be a follower of Jesus. He can teach them, heal them, feed them. He can stand up and be a leader for the underprivileged. But Jesus handles the popularity a little bit differently than we ever would. Any ministry would be enthralled with the gift of healing and multiplying food. I mean, those would be awesome tools to attract people to our ministry. And the more people than ever before could be saved. But Jesus isn't happy with numbers like we are a lot of time. Here Jesus shows us what it means to follow Him and to be a disciple. The first thing we see is that following Jesus means we must count the cost. Look at verses 28 through 32. Here Luke gives us two images or situations where one would naturally be inclined to consider the cost. First is someone trying to build a tower. Only a fool would begin such a project without considering whether he had the resources. The other picture is that of a king going to war with half as many soldiers as the other king. Before running out to meet the enemy, the king would certainly consider whether he could formulate a strategy that would level the playing field. If he couldn't find an advantage, instead of going to battle and being slaughtered, he's going to surrender. They do this because in each of these situations, there is much at stake. Maybe you've seen the movie Along Came Polly, where Ben Stiller works for an insurance company. And as such, he calculates the risk for everything. He doesn't make an important decision without plugging the pros and cons into a computer program, considering what he will gain and what he will lose. Unlike Ben Stiller's character, and much like the crowds in this passage, we easily grasp that there is something to gain from Jesus. However, we either fail to realize or are quick to forget that there is something to lose. Jesus is saying, yes, I have wonderful things to offer. But I'm not offering a free handout. It's not free. 
I'm offering an exchange. What is it going to cost you? In verse 26, Jesus declares we must hate our parents, our brothers and sisters, our husband, our wife, our children, even down to our own life. This seems so contrary to what Jesus says in other parts of Scripture. In fact, God's law commands us to honor our mother and father. How do we make sense of this? Well, when something is unclear in one area, we need to look in other places to bring clarity to it. We use Scripture to inter- interpret Scripture. You may have heard Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jason say that. <laughs> Jason, Jesus, they're so easy to confuse. But some of you may have a note for this verse that references Genesis chapter 29. If we look there, we find the same term, hated, applied to Jacob's wife Leah. Now some of you may recall that Jacob fell in love with Rachel and sought to marry her. But her father, deceiving Jacob into marrying Leah before he was able uh, to gain Rachel's hand in marriage. While Jacob bound himself to both women... We are informed in verse 30 that he loved Rachel more than Leah. And not surprisingly so, this is the girl he fell in love with in the first place. However, in verse 31 it states that the Lord saw that Leah was hated. In short, to hate means to love less. While Jacob cared for Leah, he adored Rachel. Looking back at Luke, we find that following Jesus means... To love your master so much that all other loves are less in comparison. In short, Jesus is restating the first commandment, having no other gods before me. So Jesus is not in any way saying that you should not love your families, telling us that in order to follow him, the love we have for our family cannot be greater than or even match our love for God. Basically, Jesus is saying that if we want to follow him, we must get rid of our idols. Now, what is an idol? Most of us know not to look for a wooden statue or a golden calf, but instead something that takes our gaze away from God. One important aspect of an idol is that it doesn't necessarily require you to deny your affection of God or commitment to God. It could be anything that preoccupies your mind, anything you're looking to, to help cope with living in a difficult world. This past month I read the book Engaging God's World as part of the intern program. The author Plantinga explains, Our idolatry is not just replacing God with something, but also putting something right alongside God. We are like an adulterous husband who right through his affair still loves his wife, but he, he loves two women, or so he thinks. Similarly, a Christian who wants to be God's child, but also attains to be famous and admired in the world, is a person with two loves. God and fame, fame and God. So what are your idols? In Luke 18, Jesus tells us this story about the rich young ruler. Knowing his heart, Jesus tells him, sell your possessions to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. But he walked away sad. He couldn't do it. Jesus goes after the one thing in his life that he loves more than God. And tonight, Jesus wants to go after something in your life that you love more than him. What is that? Maybe you too share a deep affection for wealth. That you so much enjoy having nice stuff 
that you are having difficulty sharing it with others who have very little. Maybe like Rocky in our illustration, you love that people adore you. So much so that it affects the decision you make. You aren't willing to risk harming what they think of you in order to do what's best for them. It's definitely something that I myself struggle with a lot. Our love for God must be supreme. Unfortunately, we are very easily entranced with other loves. So much so that it is seemingly painful and costly struggle to forgo those other loves. In essence, Jesus is saying that if you want to follow me, then come and die. Which leads us to our last point, which is to bear your own cross. What does it mean in verse 27 when Jesus says, you must bear your own cross? Or when Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, to share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. He's not calling us to die physically, but that's usually where our focus tends to sit. Thinking of End of the Spear, many of you may have seen that movie. You know, you see the amazing power of witnessing an uber-committed Christian making the ultimate sacrifice by going to a third-world country, risking martyrdom for the kingdom. But when Jesus alludes us to share in his death, he doesn't mean specifically physically, although that is definitely not excluded from the scope of that statement. Rather, he's asking that anyone who longs for mercy or justice or hope or salvation from the creator of the universe to die daily to your comfortable life. As C.S. Lewis puts it, the almost impossibly hard thing to do is to hand over your whole self to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, our personal happiness centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping despite this to behave honestly, chastely, and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you cannot do. It reminds of that awful phrase to hear, you can't have your cake and eat it too. People tell you that when you're split between two opposing options. On the one hand, you can enjoy money, pleasure, ambition in this life. Or you can have the perfect grades, or the adoration and envy of all your friends and peers. Or all the fancy gadgets and comforts that your money can afford. And in the end, gain nothing. Or you can give all of that up and follow Christ, and in the end gain everything. How are we going to live like that? How can we find the will to renounce our idols and die to ourselves? Not exactly an easy task. But by gazing on Christ, one of the most interesting aspects of Christianity is that God doesn't just sit in heaven and demand us to sacrifice everything we have, everything we are to Him. Instead, we have a God who stepped down off of His throne, took on a body of weakness, and walked the path of humiliation and sacrifice on the cross. And then He turns to us and says, Come, join me. Come and die. Revisit the life of Jesus. Watch as Jesus becomes more beautiful to us. More beautiful than anything you could ever gain from the, from the world. More wonderful than all the treasure and adoration of your friends. More wonderful than the perfect GPA. 
realizing that he renounced everything when he came down from heaven and died on the cross, giving it all up for us, we will then gladly drop everything we have to follow him. And that's my main message for tonight. I'm just going to close in some prayer. It's a little bit shorter than normal, which I think y'all might be okay with. So, let's pray. Father, we are often short-sighted when we look toward your kingdom. We gladly receive all that you offer us, but offer very little back in return. Help us to understand what it costs you to step down out of heaven for us, what it costs to love us while we were yet sinners and hostile to your love. I pray that we may reflect the power of love, that power of love in our life. Being able to sacrifice the things that we desire in order that others may gain. Knowing that you promise a treasure far greater than anything we could gain on earth. This we ask in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you.